This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comic show here on Trek FM. I am one of the hosts, just one. Uh, there must be two. We're a lot like the Sith in that way. Uh, <laughs> when there's no master and apprentice here. We're just both masters. So say hello to my friend and master <laughs> of Trek books, Dan Gunther. Hey Matthew, how's it going today? You know what, Dan? It's going pretty well. It's it's good to be back. Uh, it's always nice, uh, the, the schedule that we have now, to give us a little bit of a breather, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and we had had four shows in a row there uh, because we had a couple of interviews at the beginning of the year, which is fantastic. And goodness, we have so much more in store for everyone. Uh, we've got The Ladder Fire coming out soon by James Swallow and uh, so much else coming up. And uh Goodness, I'm excited uh, about this show because we're going to start on the Shatnerverse <laughs> today. Yep. And, you know, that is a series that uh, has so many different views about it. But I'm I'm glad to go back, I think, now and, and look at it now as I'm older, you know, and, and to see what I, I think of it. And probably will be, I would think, my final opinion on, on those books. And so I'm super excited about that. But... Before we do that, we we actually have some news. We have something to talk about today, which is exciting on that front. And Starfleet Academy number three came out last week, and mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to see what you thought of this issue. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of nice to have uh, have something to talk about before the feature. Uh, first time in a little while that's that's been the case. So, uh, yeah. So we got the latest issue of Starfleet Academy number three. Um, Kind of an interesting issue. This one, again, I feel like it's kind of um, more examining a particular character, especially with the, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, we've been calling it the present day parts of the story. Uh, learning a little bit more about Talan, the the Vulcan member of this uh, academy group here. Uh, I really like that. I, I really like character stories. I like learning about motivations and and that sort of thing. So kind of getting a little bit of an insight into her character uh, was, you know, kind of interesting to me, but also interesting as well is kind of learning more about this mystery that they're investigating. And we learn about the fate of an old NX class starship a hundred years earlier. The, uh, the, they call it the USS, I notice, which is 
interesting, but the USS Slayton, uh, which... Even though it was an edX-class ship, they call it, too, so mm-hmm. they have it both ways. <laughs> Maybe, apparently, by the time they got to number five, they were like, eh, let's just uh, slap an S- USS on it. It'll be fine. Yeah, exactly, and I think this is still slightly before the Federation, so I I don't know. I mean, you know, hardcore Trekkies might nitpick that a little bit there, uh, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz we're it nothing was, if not nitpickers, right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um oh uh hey, Mr. Um, you got that wrong about the Vulcans and they <laughs> don't um go into Parnfar every se- 6 years. That's every 7 years. So um yes, <laughs> exactly. we do have that reputation unfortunately. But you know, I what was interesting about this issue was that they finally do kind of get to the bottom of the mystery of what Ohura has been after. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually run into Admiral Marcus because of this, because uh, Ohura's butt is hauled uh, into his office because they find <laughs> out that she's been poking around in this. Into and Admiral Robocop's office himself. <laughs> exactly. There's nothing worse than getting pulled into Robocop's office. You never know what's going to happen. If you're going to come out alive, even. <laughs> and I'm wondering if that part of the story is actually going to be done. So that when we get to the next issue, that it will be just about this team. Because it feels like this whole comic is leading to this, quote-unquote, present-day team. These Starfleet Academy mm-hmm. uh, cadets are going to end up solving the mystery once and for all. Still, they're not doing a good enough job of connecting these stories. It still feels like two dis- different stories going on with not enough of a through line, especially on the present day story with these new cadets mm-hmm. and, and why they're going to be connected at all to what's going on with Kirk and Uhura and this message. Um, I, I mean, I know that it's going to be but the storyline, I don't feel like in there is, is really connecting that. So mm-hmm. to me, that's still a real frustration with the uh, Starfleet Academy series. Yeah. This n- strange jumping back and forth in timeline. And then, of course, we add another timeline in here, which is this NX-class ship. And, you know, being 100 years before, you know, the, the Kirk and Uhura timeline. So... Mm-hmm. I just, I, I kind of feel like there had to be a better way to tell this story. Yeah, I, I really feel like it was, well, we can't have this story featuring a bunch of unknowns uh, without some familiar faces. But yeah, there had to be a better way to kind of bring the two together and and have it be a more cohesive story. I agree completely. It does feel very disjointed and really kind of um, a little bit bipolar. <laughs> like the story doesn't quite know what it wants to talk about here yeah no i think you're right bipolar is a great way to put this story it just it it does feel like it's all over the place and it can't find an equilibrium Mm -hmm. between the different time uh you know time periods that we're in and all of that so it's uh, i don't know i can't i can't really judge this series whatsoever at all yet i think it will really come down to how this ends to know whether it was worth the journey. But that kind of bothers me in comics. You know, I like to feel like I'm kind of getting somewhere Mm -hmm. uh, at least midway through. And I feel like we're definitely midway through. I just don't know if this is really 
gonna have the payoff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I just it's weird. Yeah, I mean, even just looking at the little preview of the next weeks with the the cover there, like it really features these new characters and Spock's kind of ghosty in the background. <laughs> like I, you know, I, you know what it is to me. It really feels like they're just inching the the story in the past forward so slowly just so that they can keep the the characters in it or something like it feels like we're not getting any progress there at all like you know they in this one we probably get the most progress but still like they break into the office they see the records get hauled into marcus's office and spock wants to speak on her behalf and and that's it you know and it's like oh okay that's that could be two pages you know of a regular comic story but they really have to stretch it out to keep these characters in the story yes exactly um and at that point i almost feel like maybe this would have been better told without them at all Mm -hmm. and just had these cadets unraveling this mystery yeah or maybe even something like their whole story in the first issue or something like that and then pick it up from there, maybe on the last page with this. Yeah, new make group them or bookends something like or something. You know, like make make those cadets end up running into the Enterprise. You know, mm-hmm. in, in the ongoing series, or you know, in the present timeline, like they they call for help, and the Enterprise is the one who comes in, and then it's you know Kirk and Uhura getting to solve the mystery together with these cadets. Right. We've just solved the problem here. I mean, really, we just did. <laughs> I kind uh, of wonder if that's them as where the story's going as well, like if they're going to do that like, hey, remember that thing we were investigating when we were cadets kind of thing? I feel like they might pull in the the crew for kind of a cameo at the end or or, you know, towards the climax of the story kind of thing. I I can totally see that as something they might be working towards here. Yeah, and if that is the case, that would be great. I just feel like you are right on. They could have used them pretty much as just the bookends, and you could have alleviated a lot of the frustration with the this the strange discombobulation of each issue, mm-hmm. you know, where you're jumping timelines, and, and this one was, again, a little bit more confusing because we added a new timeline there, and it was obviously... While the playback is happening, then Uhura and Kirk are listening to, we're getting the flashback, basically. Mm. But it was just, it's, ah, it's just, it's not as well done, I feel like, or as well thought out as it could have been or should have been. Yeah. And um, maybe, we, I, I, I don't know, Dan, but I feel like we have just put our hat into the ring to start writing Star Trek comics. <laughs> so Someone else is going to have to do the art. I uh, I uncovered some old Star Trek comics I drew when I was about 10, and no, 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 no. Get another artist. <laughs> well, I didn't say that we were going to draw them. I just said we were going to write them. I'd, I'd That's be down. a different story. I'd be down. Yeah, I don't. Nobody <laughs> wants me drawing comics. Uh, but I, I think I like I like your uh, together our storyline. I think it works better for the comic and it makes it much more fluid. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I also feel like it makes that these cadets have their own time and they're not fighting for time every comic Mm -hmm. and they're not at least for me becoming the part where i'm like oh we have to go back to the cadets again you know instead of making them kind of integral i start to get to really know them and they have uninterrupted issues yeah uh to 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 you know 
have the audience, the the readers, really get invested in them. Mm-hmm. Now my attention is always more focused on you know the Kirk and Uhura story. Best line here though is when Uhura's like, "Is there anybody <laughs> other than me who doesn't love you?" And Kirk's like. It's a gift. <laughs> I totally, that was one line like, yeah, Chris Pine could deliver that perfectly, I think. Uh, He'd probably be eating apple with it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, well, I'm interested, I guess, to see where this goes, and hopefully this storyline will continue to get better and better, and I don't know, it, it, being in the middle, I, I'm not sure yet. Before we jump into our feature, though, Dan, where we're going to talk about The Ashes of Eden by one William Shatner. That's right, the Shat. Uh, (laughs) Let everybody know where they can find us online and, uh, of course, about uh, all the things that we have going on here at Literary Treks. Well, for sure, Matthew. Well, as you know, Literary Treks is just one of the many podcasts here on Trek FM. We We, of course, have shows covering all corners of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. This really helps us rise in the search results on iTunes and makes it possible for more Star Trek book fans to find us. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. Now, if you want to get into contact with us, we have a form on the website at trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail as well. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We also have the Babel Conference, which is our listeners only group on Facebook. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. And of course, here at Literary Treks, we also have a Goodreads group. We have our bookshelves there with all of our previously covered books, as well as what we're currently reading, so you know what's coming up for future shows. And of course, there are always great conversations happening about all the books and comics there. Just go to goodreads.com and search for Literary Treks. Dan, back in 1995, that's way back there in the 90s. That's right, folks. Uh, I was uh, a younger lad. And I was so excited when I went to, you know, my local mall bookstore. That's right. We had bookstores and malls. <laughs> um, it wasn't a Barnes & Noble or Borders or anything. It was just like a B. Dalton. I don't know if anybody knows what that is anymore. But So I walk into this bookstore, and I see this book by William Shatner himself. And, of course, we've had Star Trek Generations, so we kind of know what happens to Kirk, but this book was after Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and gave us a further adventure of Kirk and the crew, and I was just beside myself with how excited I was about this book, and so, you know, I bought it, I ate it up, and then I couldn't wait for the next one because this one literally ends on a cliffhanger, on a cliff, on Viridian Three. <laughs> Where Kirk's body, we'll talk about it later, um, but goodness, so I, you know, for me, it was kind of a pivotal book in my fandom with Star Trek, and so I'm kind of wondering for you, is is this a book that had meant so much to you, or or 
Is is this the first time that you've read this book, Dan? Well, I, I hate to say this, Matthew. This is actually indeed the first time that I've ever read The Ashes of Eden. Uh, it's not the first time I've read a Shatner Star Trek book. I did read The Return uh, ages ago and actually reread it again recently uh, to review it on my website just a couple of years ago. But yeah, no, this is the first time I've ever read The Ashes of Eden. Uh, I remember when it came out, uh, and I remember seeing the um, uh, the graphic novel adaptation of it as well. And it's something that I'd always meant, I'd always wanted to read this novel and and read the graphic novel as well, but I just, for some reason, never ever got around to it. So this is all, you know freshly fresh snow that i'm just putting my tracks in for the first time here so this is all new to me wow that's incredible (laughs) i mean that's that is crazy to me um well okay so you've read this now in the return you know what is your opinion kind of of the way that i mean the stories that that bill shatner william shatner i call him bill because we're close uh (laughs) yeah uh is is you know, telling these stories with with Kirk, uh, because a lot of people have a lot of opinions about the Shatner verse, as it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that that really surprised me actually is I, is I didn't realize re- until I was reading this book that it it leads directly into the Return and actually kind of foreshadows uh, the beginning of that book at the end of this novel here, which was really interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I I. Hmm. I have some issues with this book. I'm not going to (laughs) lie, but, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, I did enjoy it. I did. I talked to a friend, uh, back when I reviewed the return and he kind of said at the time that I have to read this one because it's the best of the Shatner verse, or actually as he called it, the Shat narrative, which I thought was really clever as well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did enjoy it. I, like I said, I did have some issues, which I'm sure we will get to talking about it here for sure. Uh, how about you, Matthew? What kind of, because you kind of have the benefit of having an impression from reading it years ago, how does that kind of compare to this time around? It It is interesting going back, you know, um, I, I think as a, a younger man, I loved this. I mean, just, I loved this book. I, I enjoyed the series w- that Shatner did. Um you know, we'll get to the return because so I don't want to talk about that because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm tempted to want to go there. But, you know, this book specifically, you know, reading it first and I. It's it's hard not to like it as a young guy, you know, it, it's it's the swashbuckling Kirk. It's the action adventure. It's the ladies. Uh, it's everything. It just feels so reminiscent <laughs> of a longer TOS episode in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with Kirk really at the scene, uh, at the at the heart of the story. And you know, you know what really struck me? I think the second time reading it is is honestly how much this book really features the other characters. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of of all the other main characters, and they all get something really cool to do. Shatner and his writing team of Judith and Garfield, Reese Stevens, uh, you know, I, I feel like they they do have their pulse, you know, the, the pulse of the TOS characters, mm-hmm. and I, I don't feel like anybody's written too out of character here. Um, I feel like part of the book you might feel like that, and then it's, it, it's corrected by the end of the book so that it all kind of comes back together and makes sense, and 
you know, I, I, I think I still probably have some nostalgia for the book that colors everything, but it, it, it's, um, it just has its own feel too. I mean, it really does. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 it feels big and bold and it feels like a Star Trek movie when you're reading the book, you know, mm, yeah, you know how really a lot true. of times if you read a Star Trek novel, it just feels like an episode. This feels like a movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that and it feels like it fits right with the undiscovered country. Like this could have been the next film. And, and I, I don't know that to me, that's kind of high praise for, for as you're reading the story, you're like, you could actually see this playing out, mm-hmm. um, especially with if, you know, generations came right after that. Um, it, it, it kind of feels and, and makes sense. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's still, I don't know. It's still good. Uh, we'll get to ratings later, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things, though, it be, this book does, you know, it, it plays with the idea of getting older, and it's the same thing that we feel from Kirk and, and Generations a little bit. And I think that's probably where you know Shatner kind of got the idea of what does Kirk do, mm-hmm. you know, with no Enterprise, with does he stay at Starfleet? He asks all these questions then. Did that work for you here, and does it, it jive enough well with with uh, generations uh, for you to feel um, like it it makes sense as a nice continuation of kind of everything we got in the uh, movie verse? Well, it it very much feels appropriate given where he is in his life and what's going on and that sort of thing. Um, one of my absolute favorite moments in Star Trek Six is there's a close-up on Kirk's face near the end, right when Uhura says uh, Starfleet's ordered us home, we're to be decommissioned. And he just kind of turns away from Uhura, and you see his face, and there's just a little, like, hint of tears in his eyes. And and that's kind of where I feel Kirk is at the start of this story. Uh, you know, he's very much approaching the twilight of his career, if not right in the middle of the twilight of his career, uh, and, you know, thinking a little bit about roads not taken, uh, struggling with his place in the universe a little bit. There's that scene near the beginning at the, like, proto-holodeck, basically, where there's this young uh, officer who is just enamored with Kirk and sees him as larger than life. And, and you know, Kirk's had this amazing career behind him, but, you know, that's all all in the past now. And there's nothing in his mind ahead of him that can equal that. And uh, so it's it's a very melancholy feeling and it is very much, you know, it, it really jives with where we see him in generations. You know, maybe it's not about that empty house. It's about that empty chair on the bridge of the Enterprise and, you know, where he really wants to be. He wants to be back in the action and in the thick of it. And the forces in this book really play on that and really uh, use that to lure him into this adventure. And I think that's that's a really interesting place for this book to start, to kind of recapture that past glory or that past sense of adventure that he feels is gone now. You know, and it fits really, really well with where we see Kirk going forward from here. I, I think that that's uh, a really interesting thing. I, Nobody is more Captain Kirk than William Shatner, and I think nobody understands Captain Kirk probably as well as William Shatner does. And if there's anything I can say about this book as praise, which I could say a lot, 
What comes across is the psychology of the character of Captain Kirk and the ways in which Shatner doesn't downplay the strengths and the weaknesses Mm -hmm. of this person. Because, yes, Kirk comes across as the hero in the end, but he is also used and played throughout this book because of his weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was so interesting is the actor who played this character understanding that this character and him are probably a lot alike and there's some serious weakness to uh, desiring never to get old, to always stay in the limelight, to, to be the person on the final frontier, on the edge. You know, all of that I thought was, was really pretty fantastic. Um, and it kind of led me to this whole idea, you know, of, of like when fantasies become reality. Because for Kirk in this book... The fantasy for him becomes reality. You know, he's led into a wild adventure. He has the most gorgeous, beautiful woman in the galaxy throwing herself at him. And, you know, he is on a planet, feels like he's making a difference. He has the Enterprise back, even though it's, you know, probably two-thirds of what it used to be. Uh, And he's feeling younger. Uh, and I, I thought that that was something that was really interesting for, you know, William Shatner to be playing. And I kind of wondered for you, does it feel too fan wanky or <laughs> does it, does it feel like it's a look at the depths of this character who we all think of as, as so iconic? Well, the, the fan wanky, I mean, there, there is a little bit of that, like, you know, there, there are a couple times reading it. Where, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say I rolled my eyes, but you just kind of, you know, like, okay, all right. But you go with it because uh, you understand, you know, who this character is. Um, And yeah, like you say, William Shatner really understands who this character is. And Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens really understand who this character is as well. Uh, so, you know, it works generally, I'd say, and I do really enjoy the fact that, you know, he's, he isn't perfect. He's, he's a really good, uh, protagonist and a, you know, very much the hero of the story, but yeah, there, there are weaknesses here that are exploited and are explored, uh, which probably to me reading this the first time was actually the most surprising thing about this, uh, I kind of expected when we find out that the the villain of the story is using these psychological profiles against Kirk. I was kind of expecting that by the end Kirk would have sussed that out and and uh totally turned the tables without them knowing and actually used it against him somehow. And I was really pleasantly surprised when that turned out to not be the case that he was kind of roped in hook line and sinker and then you know, fought his way out of it and turned death into a fighting chance to live as, as he is wont to do kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a really, really pleasant surprise in this book for me. What I kind of love too, and I feel personally is that some of those moments that kind of feel fan wanky, um, are actually story points Mm -hmm. and the ways in which Kirk is being manipulated. So, you know, when the beautiful woman is throwing 
herself at him. It's not because of Kirk. It's because she's using the psychology that she understands is going to get to him. Um, yeah. You know, the the fact that she's able to procure the enterprise, you know, that's just another way to draw him in. All of these things that uh, feel contrived or whatever, it is on purpose because it's what's, like you said, they have hooked Kirk and now they're just reeling him in. Mm. And I, I think that that's what makes it really cool is like you said too, he doesn't realize that until they tell him. Yeah. <laughs> they they straight up have to tell Kirk, the bad guys, oh, I gave you, oh, I gave her your psych profile and she's been playing you like, you know, Stradivinius fiddle. <laughs> she's been playing you like a fiddle. And and I it's just it's it's um I I like it. I mm. I, I think it makes it work because in the end the storyline justifies those things happening in a really cool and neat way by making Kirk human. Like a guy who makes mistakes, a guy who can be just kind of a jerk. <laughs> you know, um and can get sucked in to his own hype, mm-hmm. but also the desire that he has because of where he is in his age to want to feel young again yeah. and to, to be the one out there making the difference and being the young guy that, uh, you know, people look to. And by the end of the story, he, he does learn a great lesson about himself. And I, I just, I really, really liked that. Mm-hmm. I would worry about someone reading this book and putting it down halfway through thinking that it's just the ultimate self-fulfillment um you know fantasy book uh because yeah it it you know once you learn that kirk has been played like that all of those things really fall into place and start to make sense and uh you know it, it really is it's telling that kirk was able to fall for it and never really uh catches on to the fact that it was that it was all and you know a put up for his benefit kind of thing all part of the plan. All <laughs> part of the plan. Yeah. No, it's it's exactly what happens. And I just, I, you know, I think one of the things that maybe the series gets knocked for is probably that, is that Kirk kind of becomes superhuman, but we'll deal with that later on. Here, I, I think he is straight up played as a human and a, a human male that mm. you can, um, you can manipulate. And you can take all of those things and and use them for evil purposes as long as he's out of the in the dark. And and I really liked that. So we we ended up with some interesting villains in in the book, which mm-hmm. I, I thought was really interesting. The way that they tied this villain specifically to. Star Trek Six and the, the general, I guess, uh, culture milieu with which the galaxy is still in just a year after, you know, Kittimer and everything that happened there. I, really, I thought, wow, what a great way to follow up and mm-hmm. use that as a platform to tell a great story. Yeah, definitely. Kind of uh, tying the the new commander in chief of Starfleet, Andrew Varb Drake, to that cabal of Admiral Cartwright and and that group who were, you know, trying to uh, thwart the peace process between the Klingons and the Federation. I thought that was a really, really interesting. Like I, 
you know, this is a really interesting period in Star Trek. And, um, you know, when, whenever they there was a rumor going around that there would be a Captain Sulu Star Trek series, you know, I was never that excited about Captain Sulu and the Excelsior. That would be cool. But to me, it was, you know, exploring this time period and what's going on and what are the politics like. And this story really using that setting and using the players that, you know, would naturally arise from that, I thought was a, a really, really good way to go here. Because, and and part of it for me too is because in Star Trek Six, Kirk was almost a part of that group, like at least in mindset, and he grew through that movie and overcame that. So it's it's always great that he's pitted against that mindset again here because you know it really shows the growth that this character has gone through, and I thought that was really uh, a really great way to use his character here. Yeah, no, I love that thought, Dan. That. Kirk could have been on Cartwright's side mm-hmm. if he hadn't have been able to see past his own nose, past the death of his son. Right. And start to see the Klingons for who they are, which is is not just this warrior race, but as people that deserve to be gotten to know on an individual basis which made the Gorkon character I think just so extraordinary because the scenes that he has with Kirk are so earnest you know mm-hmm. uh and you know I love when Kirk is is saying to to McCoy when they're <laughs> in the prison camp it it never even occurred to me to take Gorkon at his word mm-hmm. the, the idea that he was wrong he was so wrong and um I think that's what was so interesting is that that movie portrayed a flaw that Kirk had. And what I loved is what we were talking about before is that the book took the other flaws that Kirk has and used those to help tell the story again. And so both of these films are about kind of refining a character that we've known for so long. Mm -hmm. And what a great way to do that with this ultimate bad moral Drake who wants to complete the glorious mission of Cartwright and turn the Federation into the the ultimate power by denigrating the Klingons and subjugating anybody else like the Romulans that he can. And he's willing to do that by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the scariness of that, you know, Kirk believes in the, in the safety of the Federation. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting, this discussion, because about the relevance of that we keep ourselves safe and secure, but we do it in a way that is lawful and how relevant that is to today. I just it was a it was really cool the way that, you know, you can read a book that's from nineteen ninety five and it feels kind of just as relevant as it does, you know, did then. And strangely enough, you know, dealing with the fall of the Soviet Union and stuff still has implications to a time like today oh, yeah. when they're yeah. telling this. It's so cool. It's one of those things that, you know, everybody everybody thinks that the time they live in is wholly unique and that we're facing challenges we've never had to face before. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the same story over and over and over again. And our fiction reflects that as well. So, yeah, no, it's it's very... It's very interesting, the idea of, you know, security versus freedom, uh, militarism versus uh, 
you know, another philosophy and that sort of thing. And yeah, we definitely see that play out here. You know, Star Trek. I mean, what is Star Trek about? It's always about a better future uh, with people that, you know, are free to be self-deterministic and all that sort of thing. And then, you know, so many Star Trek stories are about the forces that oppose that. And, you know, that's that's something that's just been an age-old question that we always constantly have to deal with. So, you know, there's there's always that mirror of our fiction holding holding up that mirror and, and having ourselves reflected in it over and over again. Well, it's so interesting because it makes me think of uh, the famous verse in Ecclesiastes. You know, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Mm-hmm. And Kirk, who had been somebody who was so much at war all of his life, is now becoming the the person who understands the other side of that. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And I, I just really, really liked the way that we're able to dive into that with this bad role, with him being, you know, I mean, he's so bad that he's willing to sacrifice his own daughter if he has to, who he's brainwashed into being a believer into this bunk, you know, about the Federation and, and all of this. And it's just... What I loved about this story, too, is that it picks up all those pieces from Star Trek VI, and it again makes all of these characters, this this group of seven, the ones who saved the galaxy again, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And I, I, I love that, you know, because, like, they were the old dogs, you know, they're they're getting close to retirement, you know, or they're going to be going off to do other things. You know, Spock's about to go off uh, and be a diplomat with uh, the Vulcan Diplomatic Corps, and McCoy is is teaching at the Academy, you know. And Sulu's captain of the Excelsior, Kirk, he doesn't know what he's going to do. I mean, everybody's kind of going their separate ways, and, and they really were the old dogs that almost couldn't be taught a new trick. Mm-hmm. And here they've they've learned not only can they learn a new trick, but they can use all the ones they learned for the past 30 years to still come up with the solution that's better than the black or the white, you know. So I that's again, that's one of the things I really love about this book is it, it really is. It's using every single part of the Star Trek series, and, and I mean, you know, reference things in here like the Organians and all of these things that happen in the past in the original series to build this story, and it makes it feel like it fits. And again, I, I feel like it. What it feels like is Star Trek Seven. Mm, yeah, as if if they just picked right up after you know Star Trek Six, right? And then the next movie after that was Generation. So I, it's just really. I don't know. I just really like it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> there are a couple. I, I towards the end of the novel, I do find that Drake's character just gets just a little bit over the top for me. Like kind of foaming at the mouth, too villainous. Like I can't quite take him seriously. Um, but yeah, you're right. He is the the ultimate bad moral, basically. Um, I do kind of wonder, and you know. Why exactly did he get all of Kirk's crew together to ultimately thwart him in the end? Because, you know, this is a group of people that are going to be really, really loyal to Kirk. 
So I, I found it interesting that he was kind of the instrument of his own downfall at the end here, because, you know, you, you get Spock, McCoy, Sulu, Uhura, and Chekhov together, and Kirk and Scotty over on the Enterprise, they're going to figure their way out of any situation. You know, uh, well, that was one of the things that I thought was interesting. One, it, as we see in a lot of uh, comics or films or even real life, a lot of evil people tend to be the architects of their own doom. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the Admiral felt as though he was playing everyone, but nobody would catch on that they were being played. Right, Especially good. <laughs> exactly. Especially since... You know, he felt like he kind of had Sulu wrapped around his little finger and those kind of things. And that he was also playing that uh, against the, the, the crew, you know, a, a Chekhov against Sulu, Ahura against Sulu, you know, all of these people. And, and so he felt like I think that he could just use that. It, it not only is the ultimate bad role, but he's like the Bond villain of the Star Trek franchise. Totally. You know, like he really is. He's he's. He's the architect of all of this, and it's it's a brilliant plan, mm-hmm. you know, using the confusion of this time period and the Klingon Empire, which is in flux, uh, the 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 sale of Klingon ships on the black market, weapons on the black market, all of this, the secrets, the Klingon Empire slowly kind of leaking out. I mean, so many things happening. He's using all of it, and his position at Starfleet intelligence uh where he had been for a very long time because him and kirk were made admirals pretty much at the same time and then of course kirk gets the enterprise back and leaves well he stays in his admiralship and you know gets all these favors has all these friends Mm -hmm. becomes part of starfleet intelligence and builds himself a little empire so that he's able to do these things and, and really does feel like he's running Spectre in Starfleet. <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. No, and and yeah, that's that's something I you know, I would have liked somebody to have gotten a hold of his psych profile in this book. Oh and, god. And show exactly how it was that he, you know, engineered his own demise here because yeah, it was <laughs> He's uh he's definitely got some problems that uh that led to his downfall here for sure. Well, he feels like Marcus in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, from totally. Into darkness. He has a lot of that in him. So I thought that was really interesting and one of the things that you mentioned uh, here uh, on the outline is the fact that this kind of has a familiarity to us as Star Trek fans because of the idea of the heart of darkness and insurrection. And I really think that it feels like, you remember when we talked about fade in and some of the early mm. drafts yeah. for that, this feels much more like those early drafts, but with Kirk and the crew definitely instead of Picard. And I, I think that's what makes it so interesting is them on a world that doesn't have an, any affiliation, but its own self and, that a bad moral feels like they can use for their own benefit mm-hmm. and and for the 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 benefit of you know the entire galaxy in, in uh, his at least view, the human yeah, galaxy exactly. yeah and yeah it, it was really i i thought it was a, a really well done and, and a great use of, of that kind of uh genre story 
to really create again a, a, just a fantastic Star Trek story, one that really fit, and honestly, one that's a heck of a lot better for the most part than Insurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it felt much more cinematic than anything we got. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't hate Insurrection at all, but it it. I feel like this is a better story, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more it's more meaningful to the lives of the characters, I think. It and mm-hmm. that and that's mm-hmm. where it really that's where it really runs out over insurrection for me. Because I I did actually really enjoy insurrection uh more over the years as as I, I started to like it more. But uh yeah, this story it's it's much more personal to Kirk and it means more to him than than what Picard did in Insurrection would have meant to him, I think. Uh, So yeah, it it feels more natural and more in tune with the characters for sure. I I do have to say, yeah, when they got to like the fountain, the fountain of youth aspect of the planet, I was actually kind of really glad about how that resolved itself, um, where it really was just Kirk kind of mentally recapturing his youth and getting back in the fight and getting that sense of adventure back that made it seem like he was getting younger, but it was really all just a state of mind. And, you know, you really are just as young as you, just as old as you feel. Right. So I thought that was perfect. That was a really good way to place to take the character. Well, and what I thought was so great about it was, you know, too the whole idea of, he said, you know, trying to keep up with Talani <laughs> that, you know, uh, she's a lot younger. She's in an amazing shape. And, he spends a lot of time doing a lot of manual labor in this story. He he spends a lot of time doing a lot of other physical activities with a female. Um, <laughs> and he spends a lot of time outside working, you know. It, and that makes you feel young, you know. It, it And it gets you in shape in a way that Kirk probably just hasn't been in years. Mm-hmm. And so that does make you feel younger. You have more energy. You feel more alive. Um, the endorphins are throwing, the endorphins are flowing through your body for many various reasons, obviously <laughs> in the story. So, uh, of course that Kirk is feeling here. So I, I did too. I appreciated that this wasn't a fountain of youth. It was Kirk understanding himself better and feeling healthier and more whole than he had since, you know, giving up the enterprise mm-hmm. and leaving Starfleet. And I, I thought that that works much better. So I really uh, kind of enjoyed the awkwardness of, you know, Kirk swinging his arms in the air and saying to Scotty, look, look what I can do. And Scotty's like, uh, what? Like, OK, <laughs> like it was kind of you could almost see, um, you know, everyone around him could see that it wasn't real. And he was convinced that it was. And, you know, even when he's in the middle of it, Scotty is like, uh, I I think you're just, you just kind of worked hard today, Captain. I don't know what you're talking about here. Uh, I thought that was just, you know, kind of a nice little awkward scene. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I think it works, too, mm-hmm. just within the book uh, and the way that they slowly unveil that, no, this isn't some kind of fountain of youth. It is the mindset that you have. It's the way you live your life. It's what you choose to do with it. It's how much energy you're expending every day. Are you working hard? Are you loving hard? Are you playing hard? Mm-hmm. Are, you know, 
are you are you living life to the fullest? There's something. Uh, there's a line in the book about how Kirk realizes something that he'd heard before that life is meant to be lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the storyline. I thought that was really cool. So, and on top of that. Man, this whole book, I was, I kind of sing in this, a reunited, and it feels <laughs> so good. Because all of the characters, you know, get back together again. The gang is back together. And I I thought it was a, and, and, and this has really delved into the story in a way that it never happened on the series, or really in the films, but... The way that these characters are a family mm-hmm. and what that means, you know, how you are dedicated to each other. But sometimes you get on each other's nerves or you'll challenge each other to call out your, you know, each other's crap. Uh, I just I really liked the way that all seven characters were used in this film to the advantage of the story. And I felt like it played uh, honestly really well. Mm-hmm. There are a couple little um character moments i i I do have to admit i thought that the chekhov sulu animosity was a little bit kind of seemed really um like that fire seemed stoked really hot really fast and i couldn't quite understand why chekhov was so ticked at sulu all the time on every page for like every little thing he did kind of thing um you know and the story kind of explains that in a few various ways he's been undercover for a long time and in this different world um and that sort of thing but it it just really felt like um it felt like Chekhov wasn't understanding where Sulu was coming from at all and because we didn't get a lot from Sulu's perspective you know he just seemed kind of cold and aloof and not really caring about what was going on whereas you know if you know these characters we know that Sulu cares about what's going on and and wouldn't just tow the Starfleet line a hundred percent kind of thing. Um, but you know, like you said earlier, the story kind of self corrects that and they come around by the end and you realize that, yeah, this is a family and, and they'll always stick together kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, there were just a couple little character notes that I felt rang just a little bit false, but definitely nothing that's, um, you know, nothing that's a a deal breaker for this book for me. Like I I can see these characters going through this adventure and, and, and having these experiences for sure. Just, yeah, like I said, a couple minor little nitpicks that rang a little bit false. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see where you're coming from there. And what I, I did like in the end is that, it was really almost it felt like that kind of brother relationship because obviously Sulu and Chekhov have always been closer in the series. You know, we know from Star Trek Five. apparently uh, they spend shore leave together, <laughs> um, even though at that point, you know, Sulu should have a kid at that point, probably. So shouldn't he be with his family? Anyway, oh uh, just asking too many questions. <laughs> um, but yeah, so th- they are they have this very brotherly relationship. Mm -hmm. And and so that's where you can kind of understand where brothers just get really ticked off each other. And, you know, it it almost Mm -hmm. seemed as though, and what I loved is that Chekhov realized that, you know, Sulu in a lot of ways was captain material. And that's not necessarily something he is, Mm -hmm. You know, he realized that, you know, Sulu, like Kirk, is is cut out to be a captain 
And there's that that thought process that's going through his mind at the end of the book where he's realizing, you know, that, that's not his thing and that means he he didn't really understand all that was going on for Sulu and he made a big mistake by by not trusting his friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did really I th- like that for sure. So I, I thought that was really cool that, the, again, the psychology of the characters is pretty deep. And um, I, I appreciated that it wasn't just something that happened in the book and then was never explained. Right. And you're like, what the? You know, it just you, you really want to throw the book against the wall because it didn't make sense. Uh, I felt like the writers and, and the ideas that Shatner had were fleshed out enough so that when you did get to the end, you're like, okay, that make that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I I actually kind of liked that throughout the book. I was a little uncomfortable with some of the things that were happening because I think it made the end more profound. Mm-hmm. You know, so that when I got to the resolution, I was like, oh, okay, this this actually feels better, and that kind of uncomfortableness. Um, actually helped accentuate the 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 resolution Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't know there's just something here the i i really again i keep coming back to i feel like we're discovering a lot about these characters that we've never really thought a lot about but when you bring them out in this way it makes for some great stories and just shows me how rich these characters were and and what you could continue to do with them Mm. if they had decided to with more movies and and, you know unfortunately the 23rd century and its medicine aren't in our time so that they could continue to play these characters as they i mean you know kirk was only what 67 or something i mean geez picard's that old and he's still captain so oh exactly uh, yeah (laughs) yeah no that is that is one thing you know the television series and the and the movies you know never really get into the characters uh past you know kirk spock and mccoy um so yeah you know these books and this book especially really does give us an opportunity to really pick apart these characters and get into them in a way that you know, we really haven't before. So that is very true. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely a really good use of the characters that, you know, has been lacking before for sure. Well, we come down Dan to, to the ratings part and I'm really interested to see where you fall, uh, on, on the book as a whole. So, um, yeah. What do you think? All right. Well, like I said, I generally really enjoyed this book. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a strong character. Like you said, it's very epic. It's very cinematic. It does feel like a film in many more ways than uh, other novels tend to do. Um, you know, for the minor kind of nitpicks I had with this book, overall, it's it's a fun story. I really like where they take Kirk's character and the fact that just like in Star Trek VI, he grows and changes over the course of the story, and you know, much like I said, much to my surprise, it really explores Kirk as a fully fleshed out character rather than kind of what I was expecting, which was a one note, um, you know, self aggrandizement fa- uh, fantasy story. You know, we actually get a flawed Kirk who by the end is really interesting. Um, I would have to give this book probably a fairly solid. I'd say four out of five 
Oh, I don't want to say exploding enterprises because that's bad. <laughs> um, four out of five reconditioned black market Klingon battle cruisers. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Um, you know, as we've talked through this book, I realized that one of the things that really makes it stand out is that cinematic nature of the story. And it does make me miss the hardcover Star Trek books where that was the point of them, to make them feel epic, to make them feel big. You know, when I think about the old hardcovers, I think about something like Prime Directive or uh, Shadows in the Sun or something like that where you're telling really big stories about these characters that makes you feel like you got your money's worth out of a hardcover. And I feel like this feels like a hardcover that you get your money's worth. And not only that, but as we talked about extensively, was really diving into the characters in a way that just does not get explored or really I would, I would say this for the most part didn't get explored in the series but obviously gets done in the books a lot more but here I still found that I was relearning some things about the characters through this story that I had forgotten because I haven't read this book in well gosh probably since 1995 so because I, I just don't tend to return to a lot of books unless it's you know for me it's like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, those kind of mm -hmm. things, the Chronicles of Narnia, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's too much else for me to read to really return to, to reread a bunch of Star Trek books over and over again. So, but I, I, I can't say enough how excited I am that we are starting on this journey and that I liked the ashes of Eden more than I did originally. I think, oh, wow. uh, in the sense that when I looked on my Goodreads, it, this was rated three stars, and I couldn't remember why. But for me, this is four out of five decommissioned enterprises. I, I really do think that this is a a well told story that, like you said, does not uh, hero wise Kirk in a way that makes you want to throw up. <laughs> yeah, it actually makes him more human, and I, I think it, it, for all the characters, it it makes them the heroes that we always knew them to be by being the flawed characters we always knew them to be, and just examining some of those flaws a little bit more and helping them all grow just a little bit more. And I cannot wait to jump into the return with you in a few weeks because. Um, I only remember bits and pieces of that one, and I also remember, uh, you know, that uh, Kirk had actually pitched that storyline for them to do as the next movie, mm. and they said no, uh, which, <laughs> you know, when uh, when Kirk died in Generations, uh, I, was, I was not happy, uh, and I still don't like the death, but mm -hmm. anyway... Uh, other than that, yeah, I think this is definitely worth somebody picking up on ebook or you know finding it at a half price bookstore, or just picking up the paperback somewhere at you know a local bookstore. Or heck, just hit out Amazon. I'm sure somebody's selling it for a penny or something. Well, Matthew, kind of starting this journey into the Shatnerverse with Ashes of Eden, I think uh, it's off to a strong start. You know, this was uh, this one was an enjoyable book, and uh, you know. Gosh, I have to say, I had a lot of fun talking about it with you today. 
Yeah, I did too. I, you know, I've been looking forward to this one for a while since we decided that we would start on this journey. One of the wonderful things about the Shatterverse is it's broken up into trilogies. So there's this trilogy, there's the Mew Universe trilogy, and then there is the Captain's trilogy, like because the books are like Captain's Glory, Captain's Blood, and I'm I'm excited to to get into that and um to just slowly dig through these and and find out which ones were good and which ones didn't work and if there are some I I don't I just, goodness I haven't read these books since they came out so it, it's fun to go back and I really am so thankful for the fact that you know through Patreon we have our associate producers who make sure that literary treks keeps coming to everybody each and every week We've got Ken Tripp, Brandon Shamatola, and Bruce Gibson. And all of these guys have gone to Patreon because they know that we are a listener-supported network, which means that all that comes to you through Trek FM comes through the support of the people listening to the network. We work a lot like PBS in that way. This network is huge now. We have over 20 different shows. We have special feeds. There's so much going on, and it's just impossible at this point to do it without the support of you, the listener. And that also means, too, that we're doing our best to make sure the quality stays the same and we're not adding lots of ads or anything like that. And so if you appreciate this great content, Star Trek and beyond, please go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team and help keep all of this coming to you each and every week. I uh, do want to ask if... Um, you'd like to help us as well, give us an iTunes review. Go over to iTunes, hit us up there, uh, give us a review, a star rating and written review, and uh, if you do, we'll definitely shout out to you on the show because we really appreciate that, and it just helps more people find us in iTunes. You have no idea what that does to the ratings of the show in iTunes. It's, it's a weird system, but basically, the more ratings and reviews we have, the more subscribers to the podcast better we show up in iTunes search results. And that helps more people, especially here in the 50th anniversary, find literary tricks. Now, Dan, when you're not being wooed by a beautiful young woman who looks like she's part Klingon and part Romulan to come to her planet to save it, where can we find you? You know, Matthew, this this has got to be too good to be true, right? Uh, ah, heck with it. I'm going with it. Uh, you can find... <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, right? Um, you can find me online. My website is www.treklit.com and I review Star Trek uh, novels, both old and new. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash treklitreviews. And I'm on Instagram. My username there is Kurtrats47. And you can find me on the Babel Conference talking about all things Star Trek 24-7. And uh, Matthew, when you're not undercover deep in Klingon space trying to buy surplus weapons, where can we find you? Dan, you, you weren't supposed to tell oh, anybody shoot, I'm, what I'm, I'm doing. Sorry. Uh, I, I, I can't believe that, that you've ruined my cover. I, I, I What am I going to do? Oh, God. Anyway. Uh, I, 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 was, I, was, I was lying. Okay, okay, that, yeah, he was just lying, guys. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones. We talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine, except for the last episode where we talked about Worf and his journey to Deep Space Nine, and we started with late TNG and looked at Generations. So if you want to hear our thoughts on that, definitely check that out. 
I also do the 602 Club, our general geek show here on the network, where we talk about all things geeky that aren't Star Trek. We have so much fun there. We've been covering some Marvel films recently as we work towards Captain America Civil War. We're going to be looking at some other fun things coming up. I mean, we've got Batman v Superman. We've got some more Bond. We've got Star Wars stuff. We've got so much coming up for this year. I hope you'll check it out. I also have a brand new podcast I'm doing with John Mills called Aggressive Negotiations. It is a Star Wars podcast where two Star Wars fans just sit around and talk about ideas and questions and thoughts we have about Star Wars. We've been having a lot of fun recently. Uh, latest show we just did was about our three favorite ships. A listener sent it, that in was like, hey, I want to know what ships you like in Star Wars. Okay, let's talk about it. Uh, so that was a blast. You can check us out on iTunes. We're under Aggressive Negotiations. And, of course, we have our own website at aggressivenegotiations.squarespace.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.